everyone back inside the Section 925 Pod Center. Today we have a very special guest brought to us by a hyper-local hero, Tyson Ross. Mutual friend of Tyson Ross on the show today is Kyle Blanks. Kyle Blanks, thank you so much for joining the Section 925 Pod Center. How are you doing tonight? Doing well, man. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate you taking the time. So before we talk about your very interesting story in professional baseball, seven years in the major leagues, many years in the minors, um, the listeners really want to get your take and some insight on playing one year with the Oakland Athletics. There's a lot of big A's fans that follow this blog. Um, kind of describe in depth what it was like playing for the Oakland A's and what was it, 2014? Yes, it was. Um, so I had uh, had quite a bit of um, conversation or just, you know, when you play in the minor leagues, especially um, some leagues, specific organizations are pretty designated to those leagues. So you're always playing against the A's. You're always playing against the Rangers. You're always playing against uh, very specific other organizations. And you, you have specific, you know, lines of communication that are pretty open. And as you um, kind of get through this network a little bit and uh, your, your age goes up as well as the miles on your body, you start to become part of the conversation because you're old enough to have it. And I think that's where, you know, um, once I got traded, it was always like, man, we've been trying to, we were trying to trade for you for a long time um, in some capacity. And I think that is, that was what was really, really cool to hear that, um, you know, the first thing that, that I experienced when I got there was walking into the office and being told exactly what I would be doing. And, um, you know, that comes with, going from the National League to the American League, but also just that, you know, that information um, being very clear, it, it allows you to see the game very differently than just having to, uh, you know, start to stretch and in a panic if something happens or if, you know, um, you know, if someone starts walking guys, this, that, or the other, it, like in a National League game, you know. So it was really nice for me to go from somewhere where I was always on the bubble, um, you know, or, or um, the yo-yo kind of up or down, whatever that was, it was nice to go somewhere where you're here to do this and this is what we want you to do. And that with that, that made it very easy to work on the, the things that, you know, work on the things that needed work so you could improve. Yeah. Um, and you played, I mean, we'll talk about more of your career in a second here. Um, but, Describe the atmosphere playing in Oakland because a lot of times the atmosphere in Oakland is much maligned and they say there's not a big enough crowd. Um, but when we were talking offline a little bit, you said playing in Oakland was some of the maybe the funnest year you've ever played in professional baseball. And you played, you know, all throughout the National League. You played in millions of uh, minor league parks. You've played at Yankee Stadium. But what was it about playing in Oakland that was so special? Um, I think it was, you know, to everywhere else. Um, you're kind of the misfit toy. Like at every other stadium, you come in and you truly like it. Almost, and that's how I did see you see it from the other side. Like when you're not on the A's, it's like, man, look at this fucking look at this group. Uh, sorry about the language. I'll, I'll work on that. But you know, it's kind of like you, you're, you're literally saying that sometimes. Like, look at this, look at this bunch. Like, and I think that was when you get to be a part of that bunch. 
much you embrace it for what it is because no like it's baseball again and I think that's where for me it really felt like playing summer ball like once I got to really see like it's like summer ball but you're a grown up and you get to make some pretty cool grown up decisions now like you know so that was that was um, you know pair that with walking into um, you know a first place uh, you know first place in your division there were some there were some pretty amazing games for me where finally you know I got to um, worry about my job as a player but also enjoy the you know the benefits of just being on a team that was winning like in first place I just hadn't personally experienced that um, because the year I would have I was hurt so being traded to a team where you we want you to do this and you're also in first you know and then going to the the stadium in Oakland and be like man this is crazy how this fan base with this history has this type of like you know very um, you know very uh, kind of it's its own air when you walk in there and I loved you know for years I'd heard about the stadium heard like oh it's a, you know it's shithole it's this it's that and I remember getting there and being like dude what is the big deal man there's a there's this there's this like the grass is perfect like it's not hot it's not cold like yeah. I don't know what people are complaining about. Like, truly, like, there's a nice hitter's eye. Like, what is the what's the big deal? Like, you know, like, I've played in some real shitty places in the minor leagues. Like, we're not we're not going to compare this. You know, like that's and that's I think the for me, whether it was Wrigley, whether it was Boston, you know, what I mean, like, it was always easy to just. You know, if the baseball part of it was really nice, like, that's, that's what, you know, made it really fun. Yeah. And I think Oakland, you know, once again, like, if you're talking about feeling like a kid playing summer ball, but now you're playing in front of a lot of people that are really into how good you're doing as a summer ball team, it's pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah, and then, uh, obviously, we just, you're not uh, from the Bay Area or from New Mexico, but the... Uh... Warriors just moved to San Francisco, and all hell is breaking loose with them. Um, so I think I think the uh, the A's should be very careful about uh, being so concerned with this new stadium. And they might now there's talks that they might leave Oakland. Uh, they're having a really hard time making this you know cool new stadium. But it's cool to hear a former player who you know has hit home runs as an Oakland Athletic defend the Oakland Alameda County Coliseum as a great place. And there were quite a few characters on that team. You had Josh Donaldson at third. Cespedes was playing left field. Coco Crisp. I don't know if he was doing the Bernie lane that year, but I think he might have been. Josh Reddick, who just barely missed another World Series. Uh, Brandon Moss. Moss landing, hitting bombs to right field. Uh, yeah, quite a group. Not to mention uh, Sam Fold, yourself, Johnny Gomes. Um, it seems like the A's always have a lot of characters. Um, uh, it was very much a crew of, um, you know, if you were to look at, if someone who really follows baseball from, you know, top to bottom, whether it's minors, majors, that would have been a like, wow, this is a very well-traveled baseball team. Yeah. Regardless of big league experience, it was just very, a lot of experience pulled together. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, Billy Bean seems to know how to do that. We just can't get over the hump of the playoffs uh, and, you know, 0-9 in elimination games. 
And in 2014, the A's, uh, you know, we lost to uh, in Kansas City. So, um, but enough A's talk. Let's get, kind of get into your story and, and the reason you wanted to come on the podcast and, and tell your story um, was was for a lot of reasons, but uh, one of which is Tyler Skaggs' tragic death uh, and the, kind of the opioid crisis that we're having not only in America, but also in the world of professional sports. Um, and I'll let you talk about it here in a second, but it seems like a lot of athletes, uh, not necessarily are being dishonest about it, but it doesn't really behoove them to come clean about what it's really like to be a major leaguer, what it's really like to go through this struggle of a 162-game season and have a lot of injuries that you're working through, um, trying to go to sleep after a long road trip. Um, so maybe you could start with you know, the struggle to make the major leagues for you and then how you saw some of these opioids or, or, or uh, you know, pain relief drug use um, kind of be more of a problem that people than, than people really realize in Major League Baseball. Um, you know, I'll say um, I signed in 2005, so you know I can I'll just talk about how from then I can discuss what I used, you know, the policy and just kind of how it how as a player that's how I saw. It. So um, you know, my up until I basically got called up was just 2009. You know, I never really uh, dealt with too much. Um, I had a staph infection in 2006 where I had a handful of painkillers. I had a surgery, um, was in the hospital overnight, came out and was on crutches for about 10 days, 10 or 11 days. And I had, you know, the most interesting part of that is I had to deal with my own wound like dress my own wound and take care of myself, which was very helpful because I learned a lot about myself. But, um, you know, at that point, like the pain medication was very, um, you know, I personally throughout my career was never given it in haste. I was never given, um, you know, it was never just handed to me without someone actually explaining it um, in enough detail for me to understand it. Let's say that. So being able to manage that, um, as a, and at that point I was 19, um, and it, you know, so very, still very limited experience with pills, um, you know, and then as I started to get up into the system and, uh, my first big league camp was 2008, um, that was when we flew to China. Uh, we had a exhibition in China before the Olympics. And it was against the Dodgers, and that was the first time I ever took an Ambien because the flight was 16 hours, I think, and I was just told, like, hey, man, you might want to try this. And it was, you know, at that point, totally I took it for the reason I was suggested to take it, and it worked perfectly for me. And that was probably my first experience with something like that where, okay, if I, you know, I just understand how this works. You know, I, I didn't understand, like, I didn't see an abusive component to it for myself. Yeah. Um, so, and then, you know, get through that trip, the worst jet lag ever. Um, you know, I understand how you could, I understand how you could abuse that. Um, something that could do that for you. Yeah, something um, that works so well. Exactly. And it's truly like, if, if 
I had been handed a Benadryl and did the same thing. I would have taken, I would have thought the same thing about Benadryl. So same as the exact reason why I started using it um, later. Like I would personally take it just to help me go to sleep. You know, and it's like I started doing that because I just know it makes most people drowsy. So I figured if I took, you know, this much of it, it's got to help me sleep. So it really isn't, um, you know, that's why, you know, the usage is, and then that's where I started taking Benadryl because it's what I had. It's what I had available to me. It's what I could use. It's what I wouldn't get in trouble for. And that's a far cry from, you know, a lot of the stuff I have taken, but it's also something that could just as easily contribute to not waking up. And I think that's the, you know, the bigger part of the argument is none of these things, you know, the, I would argue that the alcohol is as big of a component as any other thing in that write-up, you know, um, just as important as the food you ate that day, because that's all part of what happened in the outcome. So, you know, going from, let's say 2008 now, now 2009, where I get called up and, um, towards the end of the year, uh, that year I tore my plantar fascia in my right foot and I didn't have any surgery, but I had to be casted for three weeks and, um, I couldn't drive. So, um, basically just, you know, kind of dealt with that injury as it was. And I was still pretty young, so it wasn't, I didn't feel bad. Um, otherwise, but that was, I would say when around the time, I guess you typically it starts in spring training, but you'll always be taking some type of heavy anti-inflammatory, whether it's like Celebrex, uh, Voltaren, what was the other ones? Indocin, um, you know, just a bunch of these really heavy ones that most people, if you've never heard of it, it's because it's something you have to be prescribed. It really is that strong. Like, um, some of them will actually make you somewhat loopy or lightheaded like a painkiller because of how strong they are. And I think that that is those are something that are so prevalent, you know, and it's, I would I would call them a necessary evil. You know, you got to be able to manage these things somehow. And in the system that there is, these are probably the lesser of, of two evils. You know, if you're just going to take something for pain relief, you know, there's straight pain kill and there's, you know, anti-inflammatory. And, you know, I think um, uh, 2010 was when I had Tommy John. That was where I really had started my experience with opiates. And once again, I had great instruction with, um, with the doctors, with the surgeons, with everyone. I had great correspondence, all those things. Um, things that I do believe I was very engaged in, but also, you know, to the benefit of the doctors, I believe they did a very good job too. So I had a different understanding of how these things would work for me. So it, it was really interesting that, you know, for a long time, you know, I just kind of took the pills because they were helping me feel the way I needed to feel. Once they were gone, they were gone because by the time they were gone, I felt better. Yeah. And that is, that is not necessarily the typical ascension to, um, you know, that outcome because most people like I didn't drink, uh, you know, very heavily. So like most people that still drink are not going to stop drinking. You know, most people that eat poorly are not going to stop eating poorly. Like 
I, I constantly, every time I had a surgery, was like, dude, you cannot get fat. You cannot eat yourself out as a game of baseball. Like, because for a long time, that's, that happens to people. Yeah. You know, don't, don't take yourself out. And um, that, that's, you know, that all kind of goes together with paying attention when you're in surgery or paying attention when you're in rehab or, you know, don't take yourself out because you just laid on the table and said, fix me. And now that you're kind of out on this island by yourself, you don't know what to do. So you were uh, th- through this whole process and all these injuries, and you're outlining many, many injuries. Um, you keep saying that you, the, the, the doctors involved were giving you the correct amount of these products to help you recover. Do you disagree with the products that were given to you in the first place, or were you, or is this kind of a necessary? I think I personally think at the point of true direct post surgery, yes, I was given exactly what I needed, but I also, for one, was given the appropriate instruction on what I was given and how to take it. And I also am someone who is really interested in managing something they're given because it's told they're it's going to help them. Yeah, I don't want to abuse that. Like, and and as athletes. This works. I need more of this. That is that is built in. You know, it's you know, victory. I need more victory. Yeah. Like basically, so it's it's really hard to deny that. Like, um, you know, and once again, a lot of this is really to just identify baseball players once again as humans. This something happens so badly on a stage so big. I genuinely believe it can have a big impact because it's so few people. And I, I know that the greater portion of America is dealing with this far more close to home than, you know, me having a connection to someone I played against. But it's the bigger issue of, like, we have to be very aware. You know, like, there needs to be a transitional period in baseball after the immediate where you're not giving someone something they don't necessarily need. You know, and that would be true throughout just the rehab process. And, and that's basically how I approach it. Like, um, you know, no differently than us trying to connect. It's like, how do we, how do we troubleshoot this? And that was, that was when I had my Tommy John from the time I felt the worst until the time I got surgery was probably about a month. And it was told to me that, you know, if in that time, if a month, would have gotten me back to full health instead of having a surgery, that's always the better alternative. Just troubleshooting your options until you genuinely get to the point where, okay, this is what we have to do. Yeah. So it sounds to me that, that, that what's happening a lot is the, the drugs are getting maybe more potent. I mean, you can speak more of that. Uh, uh, or, or they're getting more specialized or they have a larger and larger effect from the pharmaceutical industry. And then you're giving those in an educated way, as you're defending the trainer and staff and the medical staff, to hyper-competitive athletes that have lots of money on the line and lots of pressure and uh, lots of forces uh, working uh, to make them want to have a quick fix to, to get better. Um, and we're, we're, we're kind of left with a problem there. Can, like, can you kind of speak more on that? Well, it's, it's genuinely... Um it's a problem of a workplace like baseball is still a workplace. So strip away, 
you know, the building, strip away the cubicles, strip away everything, and it's just, let's just call it a workplace. This is this a workplace problem, you know, so anyone that is in a workplace, which I've seen people, uh, you know, in business dress with slings on, things like that, I always look at them like, man, how do you do this? Like, I had help every step of the way. So I understand where I'm watching documentaries about abuse and I, I see where it's like, man, I see how it went wrong. Like, you know, um, I was given, you know, I started to see differences in the amount of pills I would be prescribed, you know, or, or started to see like, it was never, nothing was never given to me if I asked for it in the appropriate way. But I was always asking for it because I needed it to help me. So it's hard for me to speak. I was never like going to a trainer or anybody like thought and be like, dude, I'm dying, man. Like I need some of this. Like I was never, you know, I was very honest. Like in 2016, um, I was with San Francisco and I genuinely went to the trainer and I was like, dude, uh, it was just, it was someone I knew and trusted. He, he knew me and I was just like, dude, like just very matter of fact, I'm like, dude, I don't know what I need, but I need something. I'm like, I feel so physically bad that I'm starting to mentally feel horrible. Like, I'm just, I anticipate nothing but pain, and I don't know what to do. I need either something to kill the pain, or I need this to be fixed, so I don't need anything. You know, and most guys are not going to be willing to have a conversation. So, just matter of fact, this was, you know, this was 10 surgeries in. I need what the fuck I need. Yeah. You know, like I understand what this, and this was like, I was coming, this was coming off of two cert of a surgery on both feet that were supposed to like, you know, I was fixed at this point having this conversation. Like, dude, I'm fucking dying, man. What the hell? Like I need something. And he was very sympathetic to how I was saying it. Cause I wasn't like, you know, I, I was not chasing anything. I was genuinely trying to, to tell him, like, dude, this is, through all my experience, this is what I'm dealing with. And that's the thing I think that was, that lacks as, you know, people are very scared to talk about that. As someone who constantly went through that gauntlet, I started to be very open with, like, I'm not running optimally. This is what I think is wrong. I need something to help me run optimally. Like, this is an engine, and there's a part that's fucked up. Like, um, I'm okay throwing the check engine light on because I know my job's not at stake if I'm going to be honest and just be like, this is what's wrong. I don't, you know, like, you don't want to be the guy who's always hurt. You know, that's, that is part of, you don't, which I always was. So it's, you know, by that point, it's kind of like, I don't give a shit anymore. But I think the, this needs to be fixed so I have a chance anyway. Like, I don't know why that escapes a lot of guys, you know, like, but that's coming from someone who had a shit ton of surgery and then dealt with a shit ton of pain and a lot of rehab and was given that type of advice from people who were trying to help you heal. Like, I was never in a state of, we got to keep you on the field. I was in more of a, let's get them next year. You know, so I was always being taught more the, the total rebuild than the, the patchwork. Yeah, and, and, and I guess what you're getting at is there's probably a lot of athletes that are in that patchwork scenario. Like if you're an NFL quarterback uh, and you're Aaron Rodgers and, and it's week, you know, 
12 and you go or, or Drew Brees or he just went through an injury with his thumb <clears throat> you week 12 you get hurt and it's not like hey let's do a whole rebuild and get you next year in spring training it's uh let's get you back in the field in a couple couple weeks and there's a lot riding on this um and it's, yeah depending on you know if you're a quarterback you know if, if you're in football you might only have to miss one game you know if you're in basketball you might only miss a few games in baseball, depending on your position, you might only miss a start. So there's so many degrees of treat up, patching, whatever the problem is, that it's really going to come down to what that person who's being patched, how they feel about it. You know, like, it's not like you're not, it's not, if you're totally oblivious to the world, I would understand why you'd have no idea. Um, about getting Tommy John, but the fact that you live in that world of baseball, like, why would you, why would you hesitate if it's truly wrong? And it's just my opinion. Like, why would you hesitate? Because I've done it, but why would you hesitate if it truly is what needs to be fixed? Like, you have a finite period of time to do this, and the fact is, something is actually wrong. Like, it needs to be addressed for you know until like, and I don't know how all these new procedures are proceeding but a lot of it is going to be the participation of of you in this rehab process like the surgery you know is you know another tool along the way it's just going to keep you optimized like i can say that the surgery i had on my left shoulder in 2010 or 2012 is just done like i've i can clearly tell that what was fixed is now worn through. And if I was playing, this would be surgery number two. Yeah. You know, but, but I'm not doing what I'm doing. So it's very manageable, but you know, that's, that's just the, there's such a, you know, and I was someone who, let's say when you're always on the full fix, you know, I'm going through surgery and rehab. Like I don't necessarily, I never necessarily needed to, you know, a painkiller to play on. You know, I didn't, I didn't care to put myself through something like that, where if I was in a pain that was that close to like that, I was just, yeah, I'm done. Like, I'm done. Like, I'm not going to blow, and that's my last game in Texas, I literally felt like, like, walking up the tunnel, like, my my Achilles, both of my Achilles feel like they're going to explode. Like, they just feel like they're going to pop. And that, to me, was where, like, I can, you know, continue to try and deal with this the way I've been dealing with it or it's time to just do something like I gotta talk to somebody about this because mm-hmm. you know that's where most the scary part of most people wouldn't tell you about it is like you're literally as soon as you have surgery you're so vulnerable to just you're, you're no longer what you were you have to rebuild that and I think that some guy you know for a period of time like I'll say like right in the immediate you know, fresh out of surgery cocoon period, it feels good to take some painkillers and not feel pain. Like, you don't feel good. And I think that I would never deny that as a reality, but I think that I was always looking like, I'm going to feel better tomorrow, and I'm going to feel better tomorrow. And I think I started really benefiting when it was, well, I feel way better than I did two weeks ago. I feel way better than I did a month ago. Like, when you can actually... Uh, grow those lengths of time that you've been improving, you're going to focus less on that day-to-day routine, which is probably why I didn't get 
into that that locked into you know taking a pill taking a pill taking a pill like I really was into getting better because once I was better I didn't need anything you know and um, you know 2012 was when I uh, began consuming cannabis um, just for my own sake uh, and it was really just kind of that you know once again it was just it was no different than alcohol at that point for me. I was just kind of trying it because I could and I, I felt safe enough to do it. Like, but it was still the ability to manage when to do it. No differently than when do I need to take this pill bottle, empty or full, because I don't need it, and throw it away. And that's very easy for someone like me who's interested in, I feel better. I don't need that shit. Like, that becomes, you know... There were points in my in my rehabs where I, I very clearly saw the rest of the pills in that bottle as recreational because right now I, I don't need them. Like, I don't feel that level of pain. I'm not experiencing that level of discomfort regularly. It's not aching anymore. I'm actually past that. So anytime I take these now, it's genuinely recreational. Yeah. And yeah, that's very, very easy for me to address for yeah. myself. What's very interesting to hear about what you described this is uh, – uh, for me, if I read about an opioid uh, problem in a small town in America, I could pawn it off as like, oh, that that group of people is making poor decisions or, uh, um, you know, that would never happen to me or, uh, you know, um, you know, I don't really think too long and hard about it. It's like, hey, make better choices and, and don't don't try that. But when you describe how easy it is to get involved in these, it's a little different, you know. You were drafted in the 42nd round, so yes, you are, you know, 6'6 six, six and, and, and built, uh, you know, like a big-time athlete. But if you're drafted in the 42nd round, it's pretty damn difficult to make the major leagues and then stick there for seven years and hit, you know, uh, double-digit homers and, 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 and have a lot of teams want you in the major leagues while you're there. <clears throat> um, and you're a very clear-headed clear-headed person, a very successful person, and you're still outlining how difficult it is to, to handle these substances correctly. Because like you said, you know, uh, the, the person that's handing them to you, they mean well, uh, you know, hey, this is a eight-day time timetable for you to take these pills. But after the fifth day, sixth, seventh, and eighth day is kind of recreational time because you already feel better. So it seems like a very complicated situation, um, and, and everyone can be affected about it, about, about it, no matter how much you know pressure you can handle or how elite you are in your profession. Because you were, and it still seems, um, still seems very tough. Why don't you talk a little bit more about the rules surrounding professional sports and Major League Baseball in particular, where, in your opinion, they might be kind of backwards as far as what's allowed and what's not and what's helping people and what's to be, you know, fatal in the, in the case of Tyler Skaggs. So, um, let's go from, I'll just give you the time frame of 2015 till, uh, basically the end of my career. Cause there's fluctuation of, I could basically do what I wanted to do. And then there was a long period where I could not do what I wanted to do. And, um, it's funny because coming up through the minors originally, you know, hearing about guys that smoked, you know, at that point we're talking 2005, 6, 7. So it's still like my personal education of just the world was 
was at its own level. I mean, no differently than you go to college, like what's called a baseball its own little academy. You know, you're just meeting people from everywhere. You know, you're meeting people from smaller towns than you've ever been from. So like you're, you're getting to share those kind of experiences with them and seeing like, we're like, okay, I'm definitely not quite that small town, but I'm also not from New York. I'm not from LA. I'm not from these places. So it was, uh, it was really interesting to get that cultural feel of it moving through. But, um, so 2015, uh, I was, I signed with Texas on a minor league deal. So just come off of the season of the A's, which probably, like I said, probably the most fun I'd ever had in the big leagues. And, you know, some of that too was being in the Bay Area. I had access to some of some pretty amazing medicine. You know, I was pretty excited about that. So, um, moving to Texas, um, that being a potential concern as well. But, um, you know, fresh off of, I had a PRP injection in both my Achilles tendons. Um, and then a week later, I had a procedure called an orthotripsy, which was an electric shockwave treatment. Um, if you look it up, the, the instrument's really interesting. It's this big machine with an arm, and it's got this beehive-looking thing off of it, and it transfers, I believe I did, it was like eight minutes per, per side, and it's like 2,000 shocks. And the point of it is to disrupt all the tissue so your body fixes it. Well, you know, I'm still rehabbing from this coming into spring training in 2015, so... Um, you know, by the time spring training starts, I basically just have, you know, my typical anti-inflammatory regimen that I'm on because, uh, I can't otherwise do anything. So I have that, I have, you know, I can drink, um, I don't remember drinking too crazy at that point just because, eh, actually I remember, you know, drinking pretty frequently, I guess, um, I began to take way more advantage in AAA of just being an adult in an airport and being able to have a drink. Like, that was something I thought was pretty cool that I could just, like, fuck it, I'm going to go to the bar and have a drink. I don't give a shit. Like, um, but, you know, for the first, I was there for, in the minors for about a month. Um, I think a little bit longer, maybe. But um, just kind of doing it like that. You know, just kind of alcohol and... No problems because my feet felt okay, but I do remember, like, after our home games, I would go home. Actually, now I'm remembering. Here we go. So I go home from a home game, and I had bags of frozen peas uh, that I would keep in my uh, freezer at home. And I would just immediately come home, sit in front of the TV on the floor, and put those under my Achilles. And I would just sit there for probably 25 minutes. And I'd have a drink with me. Um... You know, at that point, that was basically all I could really do. And then I got called up, and the situation changed. I can now consume cannabis, so basically my drinking almost goes to zero. Like, I have no means, I have no need to, because at this point, you know, after starting in 2012, I have a very good idea of how the big leagues will be for me as far as what I want to consume. Like... I just need to be on the 40 man. You know, that's, that's the thing that's in my head. And that's, as a, you know, I guess, um, as a little insight, you know, most people who are in the baseball, the 40 man roster is, you know, the pool, the, let's say the closer pool of the big leagues where you're basically able to be pulled at any point. Yeah. Um, 
you know, you're, you're, I don't know how to put it. You're kind of on the varsity. You're kind of, you know, I, I don't know. There's so many things you could equate it to. And it has, honestly, there's guys on the 40 man that don't get called up in favor of someone who comes straight from uh, the minors and is not on the 40 man. So it's, for me, I saw it as this great cushion. I give a shit. You know how otherwise it benefited me. I needed. To, I enjoyed being on it for this reason. Aside from the fact that you're genuinely closer to the big leagues, you know. But that's one of the things where, when I was just able to consume what I wanted, like just basically, I can go home and smoke and chill and watch my movies. Like I think everybody else does, or they just want to go home and be with their family and do. You know, like at that point, it was just me. So. I just want to go home and do this. Like, why is this any different to me than anyone going home and cracking a beer or six, you know, or 10 that I know happens, you know? So I, I became really um, comfortable with the idea of what I would got when I get back up there, or if I can get back up there, you know, my thought was always if I'm healthy enough and I do the right thing, I'll be up there and then I'll get to, you know, enjoy that. And that's, you know, basically what I started taking advantage of through that year and had another surgery at the end of the year. I had actually had both of my heels arthroscopically worked on. They shaved down the bone, cleaned up around my Achilles. And I knew pretty shortly after that I would be, you know, I'm not going to be on the 40 man. So I'm going to have to stop this. And that was where I signed with San Francisco, I think right around Thanksgiving um, that year, in 2015. And I, uh, that was where, you know, after that surgery, um, my first surgery was on my right foot. And I took one painkiller when I got home just to kind of stay ahead of the pain, which is what I was always taught. And I just took one. I didn't need to take a bunch of them. You know, once again, the management tactic, like just stay out of the pain. So took it, woke up. And I'm like, okay, I don't really feel anything. Like, I can feel my foot, but I'm not in pain. Like, this is weird. Like, so that surgery went amazingly well. So I didn't use, I basically, other than that pill, I didn't even take any pills. All I did was smoke. And I had great success with rehabbing that foot for, um, for a good period of time. And then both of them just ended up going really shitty on me. Um, and, you know, there were days in 2016 where just, you know, we're talking January. You want to feel pretty good in January. You know, you don't want to feel like shit in January. And I'm walking in there every day like, okay, I might be able to walk in one day and do everything. Like, do my treatment, work out, um, go in the cage and hit, go in the field and hit, take ground balls. I might get there the next day and be able to get treatment on one foot and then I'm gone in 30 minutes because I can barely walk. And the next day, the foot I got worked on the day before might feel amazing and the other foot feels like shit. Like, debilitating. Like, walking upstairs one at a time. You know, and this is so, like, when, um, you know, I think when you've had your physicality taken from you, anybody, you sprain an ankle and you're just not normal. You know, you, you, you know, you jam your finger and it doesn't work the same. You, it really humbles you if you look at it for what it, it uh, takes away from you. 
and I was never that that never escaped me so like you know my goal was always to just feel better well at that point I wasn't on the 40 man so every day um, and for well and from January to February I took 200 
and or the and or the other people. Like I don't understand why it's so crazy to just like it's not a, you're not even exposing anything. You're just you're basically part of the same statistic that's that's ruining the rest of the workforce or the country. Like it's a it's a huge problem. Like so why would you mask it behind this like you know Superman thing like. Dude, we all take a ton of stuff, and it's because you have to. It's not, you know, like, and this is, you're not even, we're not even talking about performance-enhancing drugs. We're talking about just taking the amount of things you have to take to just go on the field and play baseball. Like, it's got nothing to do with performance aside. These are just the things that help you physically go do it. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, so why don't you talk a little bit more about uh, some of the solutions to these problems uh, and maybe some of the rule changes that Major League Baseball or the NFL or NBA could uh, could do or, or, or maybe a, a model of a professional or, or, or college organization that, that does it the right way that um, is kind of alleviating some of these traps that athletes and you know civilian people get into themselves. Um, I think just genuinely addressing, um, you know, I would say everybody's mental health, for one. You know, and I think it's a crazy people, if you're a doctor and you say those terms, you you don't sound crazy. If you're someone like me and you say mental health, like, you kind of might not sound right. And it's unfortunate because I just want to address it because I understand what you deal with. Like, I grew up in a town of this size. I went and did this in baseball. I understand that that's not how the entire world works. That's why I think these things need to be addressed. You know, no differently than um, I think last year, from what I either read or was told, like 13 uh, violations of the minor league drug policy were handed out to uh, minor leaguers for consuming cannabis. And I have a huge problem with that because as soon as I left baseball, I got my med card and I stopped using anything that I had from that space and, you know, no pills or nothing. I want to see how I feel. And now to know the benefits of what you can get out of it in many different mediums, it's a shame to know that, you know, their next employer is going to look at why they got fired because they violated a drug policy, you know, that, have they been on the 40 man? There's, you know, you're never going to hear about that. Like, why is, why is it so skewed? Why do you have to be in this club to get this benefit when, you know, arguably there's way bigger problems. Like alcohol is a way bigger problem that I saw coming up through baseball. Um, you know, pills clearly are a bigger issue. So the fact that you're having this, this influence for such a long time, you know, guys are scared to talk about this. That's why I'm, I love talking about it now because I don't have a fear that I can't, that no one's going to hire me to play next year. Like, it's not going to happen. So I'm, I'm cool just saying, like, you know, this is what I did and this is what I think, you know, there would be an enormous change if baseball just, let's say, decriminalized it entirely to baseball and invested in the education that I was basically trying to bring from the beginning, well before this tragedy. And that's, that to me is 
you know, where the drug policy has always been, it's the system that if you're going to adhere to it, you know, I only drank and took pills because I didn't want to lose my job and my pay for a hundred days. Like that would have killed me. You know, that no differently than that would affect anybody else in a workplace. You know, so it's sometimes it's, it's what you're forced into, the system you're forced into and your ability to manage it. You know, I managed it well for myself, but I still had a lot of collateral damage. Like it took its toll on my body. Like I didn't make the best decisions all the time, you know, so I, I, didn't, I don't have DUIs. I don't have, you know, things like that. But just I think when you when you lock someone into something like that, you know, you're not going to recognize it until you're out of it. Or, you know, once again, if you now allow these guys to pursue what I know can help, that's why I, I now do what I do. You know, um, that's where, why would it be, why is it not in your best interest as an owner, as a league, to have someone like me come in and at least assess the situation and like, look, this is the problem. This is what I know can help. So if these are the these are the things where if you can decriminalize this, if you can accept this, if you can deal with these specific things, like I didn't, you know, almost half the country has medical cannabis programs. You know, or more excuse me, more than half the country, I apologize. There's numerous states that view cannabis as uh, an uh, viable alternative to opioids and a viable um, aid in opioid um recovery you know the things that i know are beneficial that i just need would even just need to bring up like i didn't do those things i just was so interested in this that i got into it at the depth i did it's why i wanted to create products that i could take to people like i did coaches players because i know there's things in the training room that are there to help these actually will do more than that you know so um, it, it really, um, I think it's a lot about education and there's been a lot of misinformation, you know, the stigma around cannabis, um, the owners, once again, um, you know, major league baseball, you're playing by major league baseball's rules. Well, nobody who makes those rules plays this game. Like, you guys have no idea what it takes to play the game. So why are you making these rules or holding us to the system that you don't know what it takes? And now you're clearly seeing what guys think it takes to do it, and you're seeing what that outcome is. Like, because guys aren't educated enough on it. Guys aren't, aren't being appropriately addressed, um, you know, or, or aren't they're not being addressed with the appropriate help for the situation, you know, and it goes way past the action or the outcome. It starts way back at the, you know, what was your first experience with these? You know, when did you start using this? When did, because if you're not going to like, you just can't expect everybody to, you know, govern themselves. Well, it doesn't happen well in society. Why would you think it would happen well when you are still in society you're just in a different workplace. Like, that's why I really wanted to have a talk, and I thank you for doing this, because when you break it down to just, like, you're walking into a place and you're saying, what's up, Dave? What's up, Bill? You know, like, those things, it really does just seem like a problem of people that you could see walking around you. You know, like, that's, that, to me, is the problem of it gets blown out of proportion or, you know, once you're 
at a certain point, you don't have that same level of humanity you would have because you're paid too much or you live in a, a different place than me. Well, I've been dealing with this issue since before that. You know, I've, I've had a, 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 you know, I wouldn't say a demon in me, but I've had the, the propensity to do these things for a long time. I've just had great management around me. Well, now nobody's telling me what to do and I can do whatever I want. Like, you're so insulated, you forget what it's like to function because you're just given, and that's, that's what rehab really taught me how to function well. That's why by the time I was on my way out of baseball, I'm walking into the training room doing most things I can do for myself, myself, and seeing, like, seeing really young guys get on the table and just, like, fix me, like, on their phones, you know, doing shit. And I'm like, man, I, I love engaging with people that could help me get better, you know, and that's why I have such a problem with how the system is in baseball because the people that should care don't, you know, they're the ones making the rules. Like, like why you do just you, have to adhere to them. Why do you think that, uh, I guess maybe the reason why cannabis is legal, uh, for the major leaguers is because the players union did a good job of getting that and using their power. But we all know about minor leaguers and they're, they're paid less than minimum wage. Um, you know, I guess they do. Have very, a, little, uh, very little. Very yeah. little. So w what do you think quickly, uh, uh, is the reason why, um, the minor leagues are, are, are so against cannabis where the major leagues are open to it? Um, I think it's probably just the control. It's something you can control. It's, um, you know, probably coming from a lot of propaganda. You know, there's a lot of people whose interests are affected by it. But once again, it's such a small group of people that you don't have to promote the usage of it. Like, you don't have to promote anything. You're not losing anything by just allowing people to do something. Yeah. Like... And that's, and that's the, I don't understand the controlling. So when you control it like this, you're having a negative outcome on what, what we talked about is, you know, I feel like I think it was 13 guys. Like, how are they going to go get work outside of baseball if they just now are done playing? Like, this just killed their career and they have to go get work. What are they going to do if they weren't their hometown hero? Because how did you get fired from your last job? Or, oh, when, why'd you stop playing? Oh, oh, I got, you know, like, oh, we can't hire you. Like, that's very real. If someone who doesn't have a college degree, that's very on the table to be told something like that. Is that what have happened to me? You know, so I think those, those influences, um, you know, at least for me, like, once again, this started, once someone, once this tragedy happened, this started a very, uh, you know, interesting path for me. And, and you know, interestingly enough, I I know I faced him in the Coliseum. I know I had a home run off him. I think it was actually after a strikeout. So I have a, it's very interesting. You know, my interest in this is helping the people I know still play the game. Like me helping change the rules or trying to help these guys. I don't hit any more home runs. Like I don't get paid anymore. Like a check that says San Diego Padres or Oakland A's, like so. I, I don't know the the problem, you know. Like when someone like me is really trying to help, and I've seen I've seen great help and with the people I talk to. I've seen a little resistance, but I think it's 
it's interesting the fact that like uh, my interest in this like I, I, if you were to see me like I have no I don't have the ability to play professional baseball anymore like so like my interests are genuinely if you change the rules I just know it'll help them what does it do for me like I would love to help them with what I've gotten into and um, you know what took me out what, what I left baseball for that I have equally or more passion for that's why I tried to bring it back because I thought it could help and who is it going to help it's not me like go out there and tell me how it felt like how did it feel to hit like because I can't go do it I don't want to I hurt myself like um, I'm really way more into the helping people side of it and that's the part I really have to get through with you know you're still a human in a workplace with a problem that needs to be addressed. If you can't manage that problem well, the outcome will not be good. And we see that across workplaces. You know, that's that's the bigger issue. This is baseball's just big enough to bring it up. And to see that, you know, if you're in the minor leagues, you're if you're in the minor leagues for four plus years, you're taking stuff because you've just been there long enough to be submerged in it. And you're probably taking something because you need it. And if you're not, you're drinking a lot. Period. That's just how it is. Like, and it's not me. Like, yeah, you're just subjectively saying that based on what was happening. I'm just uh, yeah, as the person who didn't go to the bar all the time, this dude's go to the fucking bar all the time. And by the end, because I couldn't smoke, I was the dude going to the fucking bar all the time. You know, I asked, I asked the dude I played against, I played with, (laughs) and was actually a roommate with. Um, in San Francisco, I asked him, I was like, did you ever talk to someone about like how I drank and what, you know, what they thought of it or what you, you know, and, and the reaction I got was very interesting of like, a, it wasn't like I had a huge problem, but it was just a, like that dude drinks a shitload. Like it was more to, more to the management side. Cause it wasn't like I was coming home, waking everybody up doing shit. But it was also a, like, you drink heavily. And I was always the first one up in the apartment. I was the first one at the field. Like, so it was basically, like, I'm just managing all these things. Like, you have no idea what this does for, like, after a long day for me to be able to put myself in this mind space and manage the discomfort I'm in. But this is the only way I can do it. Because otherwise, if I get caught breaking the rules, I don't get paid anymore. And that's a big problem. Because I have to pay bills too, because that's why I'm in this workplace. Yeah. Um, why don't you talk a little bit more about what you're currently doing and like maybe uh, a little bit about your struggle or the, the general struggle of professional athletes after they retire and what you know, your current business is and you know how you're actively trying to help those still playing the game. So, like I said... Um, I left, uh, I left baseball when I got my med, <clears throat> my, uh, medical cannabis card. And, you know, no differently than a little kid would pick up a bat or a pair of cool shoes and just get lost in the world of shoes or baseball or baseball cards, anything like that. It, it genuinely has its own world. Um, and, uh, through my brother, I met, um, one of his friends, his parents, who's who are now my business partners, um, Bob and Lori Boylan, we started Roadrunner CBD. And we're a vertically integrated hemp farm. 
out of uh, Moriarty, New Mexico. And it, you know, over the past few years, basically been building this, whether it's been building up the farm, um, harvesting crops, um, you know, website, you know, pictures, all these things that, that go into running a brand, you know, no differently than if you see a, a Hershey bar on a rack, like it has to get out somehow, you know, someone designed the package, someone, you know, basically if you own a business or like, you know, doing podcasts, like once you know how they work, you kind of, it, it looks more like the matrix, you know how to do it, you know how to go about it, you understand how it goes from ABC. And you know, once I um, got my med card, I came across CBD in a in a strain, and I was just it really struck me. So I started kind of trying to find things, consume things that were mostly CBD, just seeing what they were, really trying to experience what this was on top of educating myself on it. And um, you know, after uh, that was shortly after playing, and then slowly building the business, getting into, um, you know, between getting our, all our licensures to manufacture, uh, to grow, to do all these things, like having to understand how actual the business part of it works and understand what all of the physical other parts, you know, I still farm. Um, and it, uh, I would personally tell any player, and this is this is just my personal bias. I would tell any player uh, after they're done to grow a plant, like just try and grow a cannabis plant, and solely because the outcome is going to be based on your input. You know, it's not just the weed. You know, you have to pay attention to it, and there's a lot of reward in growing something. You know, there's um, I think that. Uh, Experience 
as far as those things. And I think creating these products that, that we came together and created, I've seen a way to implement them not only in the training room where I've had all of these things used on me, things of this nature. Now, if you implement these that I've put these specific things into, I genuinely think it'll help you more. You know, that's what I, that's genuinely the pitch with anybody. That's why we really enjoy what we do because if you just get over, you know, if, if I just handed it to you and said it's lotion and it might help you, you probably wouldn't flinch. But once I explain what it is, people freak out. And that's the same response I had. Once again, people are people. That's the same response I had when I was trying to help, you know, coaches or players. Like, they don't know what it is. You know, if you've never been around cannabis, I wouldn't expect you to know what it is. Everybody's around alcohol, so I would expect everybody to be familiar. Like, if I said, hey, man, I'm making, I'm making vodka. What do you think of my new vodka? Anybody's going to take a shot. But, you know, hey, man, I'm in CBD now. Like, this is, you want to try some muscle gel? I think it'll really help, man, I'm, I'm sure. I don't know, man. What, what is it? What is it? What's in it? <laughs> like, it's, you know what I mean? Like, that's the conversation. Like, that's not me saying stuff. That's how the conversations go. And it's so, like, you know, and from the time I've gotten to first have those to now, you know, my, my personal, what I would say has changed quite a bit. But also, I'm just, when I, when I really help people, I'm just sharing my experience. Like, I've had a lot of pain and I use a lot of things, this is all I use now because it works that good. And this is how I live. But that's the part of it that's not, it's not mechanical. I don't, I didn't go home after a game and smoke a joint for my pain. You know, like that's not how that works. You genuinely, you know, I might smoke right before I go to the field, but legitimately the amount of things I have to do before I even touch a baseball that, you know, I have to get there. I have to change. I have to get in the hot tub and a cold tub numerous times. Then I have to stretch. Then I have to work out. Then I have to maybe go in the cage. Like, by the time I'm doing any of that, I am so, so sober from what anyone would, would understand as, as, you know, high or, you know, whatever. But that's how I did it. You know, I also know guys that played with, a, you know, played just smoking cigarettes, like guys that played um, eating edibles, like guys that played drinking alcohol during the game. Like, wow. where was it? Where was it for me to say what's what? Like, and if not, once again, we're talking like I, it never had to be addressed. Like, these are management tactics. Like, people that knew it's it's once you're you know, it's, if you don't have a way of, let's say this, if that same guy who drinks during the game, and we're not talking like get smashed, we're talking maybe a drink or two to calm your nerves. Like you're metabolizing this alcohol very fast. So it's no different, it'd be no different than a guy who has, has to take Xanax as a player and he's getting the relief from his Xanax. You know, he's, he simply is what he uses is working for him. And um, I think it's interesting that, uh, you know, if you have an outlet outside of the game, like if that guy can go home and have a couple drinks and just go home and sleep, like what's the problem with that? 
you know, but it becomes a problem if he goes home and continues on with a case or continues on with half a bottle and then goes to the bar and then tries to do this. It's truly, it's, you know, everyone's different. You know, everyone deals with it differently. So it's, it's so hard to just like kind of throw everyone in this little tiny box. Like they're all going to do the same thing. Yeah. And, you know, once again, like that was what was weird for me. So I didn't grow up in the Bay area, but being an Oakland man, you get pretty damn liberal to, to how, how you carry yourself with that stuff. Like I was always terrified to have it in my car, even just taking it home. And, but I think just knowing you're in a place where like, man, if someone sees me doing this, like just smoking, they're probably not going to say anything. That's kind of cool. Like, you know, that I couldn't like, and that's the thing is where what I do right now is totally legal everywhere. But you're talking, if I'm talking to someone from Texas or uh, the Carolinas or Georgia, they might not give a shit because mom, mom will yell at me and my wife. Like, no. That's that's devil stuff, man. You can't do that. Yeah. Like that that's something real. Like, I've experienced a lot of that stuff. Um, well, we're a little bit up against time at this point, um, but it, it really is amazing to hear your story. And I think we, you know, we could maybe do a few segments in the future to touch on some other topics uh, about your experience coming back from injury, about your 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 current role in the cannabis industry and uh, and CBD in general and all the attributes that that it has. Um, before we go, are there any 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 anything you want to plug? Uh, or any people you want to give to uh, give a shout out to, um, as far as like your career, um, or, or, or what you got, what you have going these days? Um, well, I would definitely have to say, uh, please go to roadrunnercbd.com. Um, anybody who's looking to, uh, you know, it's CBD is a tool like everything else. You know what I mean? Um, it's only going to benefit you. You know, you're, you're going to get out of it what you put into it. And <clears throat> my career was built on basically crumbling and then having to rebuild. It's why I'm so happy to help people try and do that. So, you know, I'm always, I would love people to, to go check that out. Um, you know, we have a lot of media on there that's connected to us. Um, my Instagram, I'm happy to really, I really want to connect with people just, you know, anyone who has the questions, well, I'm really happy to do this. I would love to talk to you again and, and really, you know, answer any questions, um, you know, and uh, baseball or not. I mean, uh, I'm happy to uh, talk about the experience as it relates. And I think that's uh, something where anyone who can appreciate, you just, you actually get to stand up and ask that question. And I'll give you a genuine answer because I don't have to worry about getting fired. I don't have to worry about taking that picture down off my Instagram, you know, so I'm, I'm really, really into trying to help people feel better, and I think a lot of that is just having those conversations that, you know, we're all people in this, so we're all going to deal with people problems, and, um, you know, I, I think, I, I know that I didn't get anywhere in my career by myself, I had an amazing amount of help from trainers to PTs to doctors, surgeons, coaches, um, never, ever did it myself. And I think that's something I really hang my hat on because I think the game has started to look so about me 
forget about the people that help you get there or the fans aren't exposed to those people that really help you get there. So, you know, I, I always am happy to thank anybody who had a, you know, a positive uh, impact in my career because I was basically on a training table the whole time. So I, I'm happy to thank, you know, trainers as well as, you know, hitting coaches. And I think that um, it was a great experience for me uh, to have that because it actually at least, you know, going out into the real world and being able to physically manage my own pain is huge for me because I otherwise would be in a doctor's office a lot, you know, because I just deal with a lot of discomfort, but I learned enough to kind of, uh, you know, offset that because I was willing to, you know, take advice from people who I thought had my best interest at heart. So always willing to have those types of conversations with people. And that's why I really, really enjoy you having me here. And, and I really appreciate it. So thank you. Yeah. Uh, uh, again, uh, hopefully the discussion will continue. We'll touch on some more topics in the future. My shout out is to the Ross family. Yes, uh, absolutely. Sorry. I want to thank Tyson uh, very personally for uh, connecting us. Thank you very much. He's definitely the person that I reach to as a sounding board the most. He, he is extremely level-headed, level-headed human, and I appreciate having him in my life. So thank you very much, Tyson. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, I never—I don't think I've ever met his brother Joe. I played on the same team as Tyson. He was—he was the star of the team, and I was uh, uh, the supporting cast, if you want to call it that. Uh, but his brother Joe, his brother, his, his brother Joe, uh, you know, taking the ball, uh, uh, just in, in what was it, Game Five uh, for Max Scherzer, who the, you know Fox was promoting it was Scherzer versus Cole. That was the advertisement, and then. You know, the game comes on at 5 o'clock Pacific time, and boom, Joe Ross is out there, 26 years old, Bishop O'Dowd, Oakland alum. Um, yeah, it's pretty incredible how well, you know, those two brothers have done. Um, but yeah, thanks again for coming on the show. We'll have you on again soon. Maybe we can explore this in more depth. It's obviously a tragedy what happened to Tyler Skaggs, and the least people can do is you know, kind of discuss... Um, what, how we've gotten in ourselves into, the, into, the, into that sort of situation. Um, so Kyle Blanks, thanks again for having you. Thanks for again for coming on the show. 2014 Oakland A's will never be forgotten, and we'll talk to you again soon. Something or nothing, at least that you're willing to try. No, it's never easy.